Morning, everyone. How many of you are just sick of snow? Have we had it yet? Nope. Okay. Well, good. You can leave now. No. Uh, I'm excited. We, you know, I was counting over how many messages we've been doing since we've been into the story where we've been going through the whole Bible, and uh, we've been in it for five months, and we've gone through the whole Old Testament, the major stories of the Bible connecting them to the overarching story of Jesus Christ, because everything revolves around Jesus. The Old Testament all is talking about Jesus coming to fulfill everything God wanted to do and say. And so now we are in the part of the story where we're going to see how all the Old Testament is completed in this person of Jesus Christ, how he, how he is the Messiah, that he is God, that he has ultimately come to redeem God's people back to him. And so this is where we start a new chapter in the story where we're going to be jumping into the New Testament and, and seeing what God has done through Jesus Christ. I love studying the person of Jesus Christ because it's through Jesus Christ that our lives are changed. He is the one that we're looking for. He is the Messiah. He is the Savior of the world that everyone has been waiting for. He's the one that changes lives. He's the one that redeems us. He's the one that gives us the truth. He's the one that forgives us. It's by his blood that we're saved today. It's by his life that we're transformed and our lives completely change. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. For me, a 16-year-old boy who came to Jesus Christ as a ninth grader in high school, it was all about Jesus that changed my life. And 30-plus years later, I haven't looked back. It's all about Jesus. He's the one that does everything. He transforms you. He can transform your marriages. He can transform your lives. He can heal you. It's all about him. He's the one when you wake up in the middle of the night, you don't feel good and you feel down, you look to Jesus for your strength and your hope. He's the one when you wake up in the morning, you feel like, man, it's snowing again. But you know what? I have Jesus. And I know that I have a hope and a future in Christ Jesus. It's all about him. He gives us a hope and he gives us a security that nothing in this world can. Even though Syracuse is not going to be playing in the postseason, we still have Jesus, right? Are you with me this morning, 830 crowd? Are you awake? Has this February weather got you down? Let's look to Jesus because he's our hope and our strength. So that's what we're going to be looking at. We're looking at the birth of a king as we open up this new chapter in the story. And and let me just say this. When we look between the Old Testament and the New Testament, the birth of this king, the birth of Jesus, was a long time coming. It was 400 years that a prophet would speak, which was Malachi. No other leader or prophet was spoken about, which was included in the scripture. We call this the intertestamental period. It's a time between the Old Testament and the New Testament. And Testaments basic, basically mean an agreement or a covenant between God and man. The Old Testament predicts the Messiah. The New Testament reveals him. And God's timing is, is perfect. It, it, it's, it revolves around this small town of Bethlehem that Mary the Virgin will give birth to the Savior of the world. And, and I love when you look into Scripture, I like the Gospel of John the way John the Apostle introduces the Messiah into the world because basically he gives us what this Messiah will do for us, what what the purpose of his coming 
will do. And, and, and as we look at as this baby coming onto the scene, the Messiah, God himself coming into flesh, we see how he changed the world right at the very beginning in the hope that it gives us in man back then and even for us here today. So if you've got your Bible, let's jump into the word. We're going to look at John chapter 1. We're going to look at verses 1 through 14. And this is where we see where the word becomes flesh, where, where God chooses to dwell amongst us. Literally, God sets his tent up amongst his people that he is trying to redeem. God is not a God that's far away, that's unreachable, but God chooses to come and, and incarnate in the flesh to dwell amongst us, to show us his way. And, and what John does here is he gives us a real in-depth understanding of what the Messiah is and why he came. And we need to understand this if we're going to grow in our relationship with Jesus and understand who Jesus is and why Jesus is the only way, why there is not another way. Yes, we are very uh, inclusive in how we believe about Jesus, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by him. It's a very exclusive view, and that's true. Many people will say, well, the reason why I, I just, you know, maybe Jesus is a way, but, but you're telling me that everybody else that believes something else is wrong? Here's the thing I want, I want to stress to you this morning. Unless we believe that Jesus is the way, the only way, we cannot find forgiveness of our sin. We can't see that we can't say that everybody's right. Somebody has to be wrong. And Jesus never gave us another option. Jesus never said, you know, I'm a way, you can believe other ways. Jesus says, I am the way. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes under the Father except through me. And why could Jesus make such a claim? Because he himself was God. He wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a man proclaiming truth. He wasn't just a man saying, I can show you truth. He wasn't just a man that says, I can show you the way like every other religious figure. Jesus actually says, I am it. I am truth. I am life. I am the way. So yeah, it's very exclusive in the way we believe about Christ. But the thing about Jesus Christ, he's very inclusive in who comes to him. Where God says, for I so love the world that whoever believes in me shall not perish. Whoever comes to me, I will no wise cast out. I don't care about your background. I don't care what your religious beliefs were before that. I don't care about any of that. Whoever comes to my son, Jesus, shall be set free. And so he's very inclusive in who comes to him. God does not exclude anyone because of their background or because of their sin or anything else. He accepts all who comes to him. So let's see what John says about the word and how it became flesh. It says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and this is important, and the word was what? Was God. Was God. Anytime you say that Jesus is not divine or that he is not God, you take away his divinity, which you take away the salvation that he provided for us, because it would have just been a man dying on the cross and not God himself. And that, that, that is imperative for our salvation. Because if it was just a man, then, then we could not find salvation or forgiveness of our sin. But it was actually was God. Verse 2. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. And life was the light of men. The light shines in darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. 
there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness, John the Baptist, to bear witness of the light, all that might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Everybody say amen. Thank God for that, for you and I here today. Verse 13, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Now, if you underline in your Bibles, underline that dwelt among us. That is very important for us, uh, for us to understand. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only son from the father, the only son from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Perfect balance. How do you remember a time when you're sitting in your house and the power went out? Now, if it's in the summer, it's okay, right? If it's during the day, usually it's okay. But uh, uh, when, the, when the power goes out at night, it gets dark real quick. And for most of us, we're never prepared for it. And we're scrambling around, where are the flashlights? Honey, where the can't, you know, you're fumbling around. Um, many of you, I know, are afraid of the dark. Maybe you're still afraid of the dark. Maybe some of you still sleep with the nightlight. And that's okay. You know, if you have your little Yogi Bear nightlight, that's okay. You can still have that. Um, I remember um, my uh, parents made our basement into uh, a bedroom. And it was so cool because they made it for me. So I had, um, I had a twin sister. And I had an older sister, and we had a three-bedroom house growing up, and we lived in the day where you just had one bathroom, and everybody shared the bathroom. How many remember those days when everybody shared a bathroom, right? Remember that? Now, I had two sisters, okay? So I basically never saw, I didn't even know we had a bathroom until I was like 18. I was like, really? We had, you made me take showers outside, you know, in the snow. But so um, I never saw that. So my parents said, I, my room, when I was a little kid, was in our attic, that's where they would store, my parents would store me up in the attic. And it was so, it was like a cubby hole and you'd crawl into it. You couldn't stand up. It was a slanted roof of the house, had one window where you could open up. My bed was on the floor. It was pretty cool though, I have to admit. But when I got older, it was just too small. And so my parents said, hey, we'll convert, um, the, the, the basement into your own bedroom. So I'm like, cool. And so, um, I had a, I had two twin beds down there and I could invite my, Friends over, and I had a stereo where I could play my Saturday Night Fever album, uh, vinyl. Remember that vinyl? It was just—it was a cool room. I had a bumper pool table. How many remember bumper pool? That—that—that that, that is fun. Bumper pool is fun, and I had my own little bumper pool table. I mean, it was really cool. Now, my parents got this all set up for me. I was in sixth grade. They got it all set up for me. The problem is, I actually had to go down there. And sleep down there. Now, it was in the basement. I'm sixth grade. I, I watched way too much Boris Karloff Frankenstein movies as a kid, right? I love those Dracula movies. So I was scared out of my mind to go in the basement and actually sleep down there. Now, it was cool that you could go down there and play your records and, 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 and disco dance and play bumper pool. It was the happening place. But I actually had to sleep down there. I was like, I, I, I don't know if I could sleep down. It was scary. 
all the way down there in the dungeon. It was scary. And so I remember for like the first six months, I think my dad slept down there in the other bed with me. <laughs> totally funny. But anyway, so they finally get my dad. said, Bard, you can do it. So finally, uh, I, I went down there and I had, um, you know, a, 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 a nightlight and, and I made it. And, and that's why I'm in therapy today. But anyways, so we made it. But what is it about about darkness. Well, one thing is you, you can't see, for one thing. Things are hidden. And, and, and as we look into darkness, darkness really is, is symbolic of, of evil. And what John does here in this passage is he describes Jesus coming as the light, and he describes him as the word. It's interesting here that he uses these words to describe the Messiah of the world. He says he's coming as light, to expose darkness, and he's coming as the word. And, and I want to define those things for us today because this defines who the Savior is and why Jesus came into our dark world. The most amazing thing that has ever happened in the history of the world was about to happen, where the word, John says, was actually going to take on flesh, that God himself would actually take on human form. This is so hard for anyone to even comprehend or even comprehend at the time that God himself would come into our dark world to live amongst us, to dwell amongst our sin and to live right with us. It's for, for, for nor in person. That's just so hard to understand. Why would, why would Jesus leave his heavenly home and come and dwell with, with, with us? And our heart and our hurt and our heartache and all those other things, because that's the type of God we serve. That's God chose to come right in the middle of our darkness to expose it with his light and with his truth. That's what a loving God we have. And so this would not be some far off God, a God that we couldn't relate to, but a God who would come in human flesh and never cease from being God. Jesus would be fully God and fully man at the same time. God would choose to literally dwell among us. And, th and that word dwell among us that, that John uses to describe Jesus' coming would literally mean that God would build his tent among us. It's, a, it's an illusion of when God dwelt uh, among Israel in the tabernacle, in the desert, in the, in the temple, and in the temple in Jerusalem. God now chooses to dwell among his people. He now decides to come right in the midst of them. And so Jesus fulfills this Old Testament symbolism of God dwelling with his people as he did in the tabernacle or in the temple. And, and as we discussed when we were going through the Old Testament, the people of God, the, the, the tabernacle was a tent that could be moved throughout the wilderness experience. There are 40 years in the wilderness after they came out of Egypt. And they could literally see the cloud that would envelop the tabernacle. And they knew that was the Shekinah glory of God. God's presence was there. It was interesting where uh, this tabernacle was set up amongst the Israelites. It was set up right in the middle. And all the tribes of Israel were around that tabernacle. God wanted to be right in the midst of them. And, and, and the way God would show his presence to them, he would say, when that cloud moves, you are to move. When I tell you to move, you are to move. You're to pack up. I've got all the Levites with their specific jobs that they're supposed to do. You're going to pack up that tabernacle and then you're going to move. He wanted them to trust them. He wanted them to know that my presence is always there with you if you trust me. 
that I'll never leave you or forsake you. That you can look to the middle of the camp and there I will dwell, literally dwell among you. I have decided to, to put my tent, to put my dwelling right in the midst of you where you can look and you can see my glory and know that I'm there. That, that, that the tabernacle represents a place where your sins are forgiven, where your sins can be atoned for, where you can have a relationship with me, where you can find your security and your hope in me, where you can look to that place and know that our God dwells in the midst of thee, that our God dwells in the midst of the camp, that we can trust him. And so what God does, this symbolic overflow of this, the way it's connected is now to this person in Jesus Christ, where God says, no, I'm going to send my son who is God. And I'm going to have him dwell right in the midst of you. I decided to set up camp right in the midst of you. That, that literally God, the incarnate God, would now become flesh. And so Jesus fulfills this Old Testament symbolism of God dwelling with his people. And now God comes right in the midst of them. God would fill his church, you and I, with his Holy Spirit. Where the word of God says that our bodies now become the temple of the Holy Spirit. Where God resides through the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so here God chooses to come and dwell right in the midst of his people. And then Jesus says, listen, I'm not going to leave you alone. But I'm going to send you another. Here's the perfect relationship of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Jesus says, I'm not going to leave you alone because they got scared. Where are you going? He goes, well, I'm going back to heaven. But I'm going to send you another one, just like me, who's not only going to be with you, but is going to be in you. And that's the Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit dwells right within us. That the power that we have for living every single day can be found in that relationship that we have with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives us wisdom. The Holy Spirit gifts us to to, to, to encourage and to build up the body of Christ. The, the Holy Spirit is our comforter, the Bible says. That when we are, when we are perplexed and, and life seems to overwhelm us, we have the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit that we can go to in our lives, that is going to be our comforter, that's going to guide us, that's going to lead us, that is not out here but is actually right within our very lives. And so God chooses to have his Holy Spirit not dwell in the temple, but dwell in his people, in us. And that's what makes the, the day of Pentecost such a powerful part of church history is when the Holy Spirit came on the church and gave them power to be God's witnesses in the world. And that power is still available to you and I today. Amen? Amen? Good stuff. All right. You still with me, 830 crowd? Okay. So... Not only does he describe him dwelling among us and coming in this flesh, but also he uses this word, the word. The word came amongst us. And this is an interesting word because in the Greek, it's the word logos. And, and basically what this means is because you may read through First John and say, what does it mean? What does it mean that the word came to us, that Jesus is the word? What, what is the meaning about that? Well, the, the meaning of the word, this Greek word logos, is basically the word is, is the divine expression of God. Jesus is this living word. Wouldn't it be a great name for a church? Some of you just got that. 
you realize you are living word right now. The name of our church is living word. I love talking to people and you get talked to them and you're like, they go, oh yeah, we go to church every week. I go, what church do you go to? And they're like, oh man, what's the name of the church? Can't remember the name of it, but at least you're going to church. That's good. We are living word. And here's the reason why. Some of you may ask yourself, what does living word mean? What is that? That's a cool name. I like it. It's better than dead word, right? Like the living word. It sounds living. It sounds active. It sounds exciting, which we are. But what does what the word living word mean? Well, what it is is when, when you see a word, right, a word expresses a meaning or thought, so, so a word expresses a meaning or a thought. So, so let me, let, for me, if I see the word um, apple pie, right, with sharp cheddar cheese, I start to salivate. So if I, if I see that word apple pie, it, it triggers something in my mind, especially if that apple pie is made by a certain person named Curtis Sprague. Now, if he makes it, He's probably the best pie maker in the world. If you've ever had a, a Curtis Sprague pie, you know what I'm talking about. Okay, unbelievable. The, our worship leader, Andy, his son, pie maker extraordinaire. Now, when I think about that, it, it just all, automatically, it triggers something right in my mind that expresses a hunger, which is now starting in my tummy right now as I am speaking. So if you're out there, Curtis... My birthday is in April. Okay, anyways. Okay, so it's a word. So, so what John is telling us is this. It's the expression of God has now, entered the wor- has now entered the world, and this word has now become flesh, literally dwelt among us or set up his tent among us, which is Jesus. Everything that God wanted to say is expressed, is expressed, Through his son, Jesus. Jesus is the epitome, the exact representation of God because he is God. He is the word. Everything was created through the word, through Jesus Christ himself. He is that living word. This is why John says in verse 3 that all things, all things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. So what God does here is God expresses himself in a way that we could understand. He literally dwelt among us. Just as words help us understand, God expresses himself through the Son, through his Son, Jesus Christ, who is God. So when Jesus says, when you've seen me, you've seen who? You've seen the Father. He's the exact representation of God. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Perfect oneness in all things. And so we see the oneness of God expressed through the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, each having their function, but being perfectly one. Perfect relationship. Perfect in fellowship. So everything that God wanted to express to us was expressed through his son, Jesus. We can trust him. And so what John does, he not only describes Jesus as the word, this living word that has come into fruition into the world, 
But he also describes Jesus as the light. And I like this because Jesus came as a light to shine in the darkness. Jesus brings truth and shines the light on what is false. He exposes what is false. And so John expresses that at the very end where he says he's perfect in grace and in truth. So darkness doesn't expose light. It is the light that exposes the darkness. Now, I can remember... In 1995, we went on a missions trip to Montana. And I can remember we, we flew into, I think, Great Falls. And we had to drive pretty far away. And you could see the Rockies way in the distance. And I remember it was at night. And, and, and I realized why they called it Big Sky Country. Because it just it's huge. It's just when you see the open prairies that eventually go into the, the Rockies. It's just an amazing place if you've ever been to Montana. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful place. Got to go to Glacier National Park and... We were ministering on an Indian reservation there, the Blackfoot Indian Reservation. Just amazing, amazing part of, part of our country. But as we're driving, I remember we're driving, and there's this road, and it is straight as an arrow. And we're driving, and it is black, just pitch black. There's, you don't, there's not a lot of you know, light pollution at all. And I remember way in the distance, there was like this light. And I'm like, what is that light? And I remember we kept driving and driving and driving till eventually we came to light and it was a four-way stop sign. I can't even remember how many miles we drove till we got to. It was, it was incredible that that one little light, because there's no trees that you could see, that that one tiny little light pierced this huge landscape of Montana. And, and so finally we got there. I'm like, wow, that, that's amazing how this little light punched a hole in the darkness. How many of you like looking up at the stars at night? Especially in the summertime. That's a good time to do it, right? Not when it's minus five out, but in the summertime, you, you, especially on a, just a, a night where the moon's not out and, and you can just see the stars. And what's, what's so interesting about the stars is that they're trillions and trillions of miles away. And it's amazing that, that a star that is a trillions of miles away, how, how it has the ability to punch a hole through the darkness. It amazes me that this, this, this star that, that produces its own energy that's trillions of miles away, and I'm sitting there on earth just looking up at this star going, I can't even comprehend what a trillion miles is. I can't even, it's just, I can't even fathom it, right? How, how it punches a hole in the darkness. You see, God, what John is telling us, is God came into the midst of our dark world. He left heaven to come in the midst of our mess to literally punch a hole in our darkness. And, and what I love about the announcement of this king, the announcement of this savior, would, would first come when? Did it come during the day? It came at night, didn't it? Not only did it come at night, but it came to a bunch of shepherds, the lowliest of the lowly, that were just watching sheep at night in a field. And God makes this announcement to them. He sends these messengers of God to come and make this announcement to pierce the darkness with the light of Christ. And, and I love what Luke, how he describes this in Luke 2, 8 through 11. It says, in the same region... There were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. 
And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear, because usually when an angel came, it wasn't good news, it was judgment. So they were at fear. They were, they were very fearful. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. In the dark, God proclaimed the good news, which literally means gospel or glad tidings. I've come to give you good news. I've come, I've come in the darkness to give you this message. I, I, in, in fact, in order for something to be good news, right, it has to trump something that's bad. So, so these shepherds think it's bad news, but God says, listen, it's good news. In order for it to be good news, it has to overcome something that is bad. Something that is wrong, something that is dark. It makes it good news, doesn't it? I mean, if you, if you ever, if you ever got your car repaired or something, you thought, man, my transmission is gone and it's going to cost me $3,000. And the mechanic comes back and they say, you know what? It's not that. It's just your hydraulic mud flaps need adjusting. And that's only going to cost you, you know, $30. How many know that's good news? You're like, thank you, Jesus. And you hug the guy. You give him a kiss and you're on your way, right? You're like, that's good news, right? In order to be good news, it has to come against something that is dark or some bad news that we have. And so what these shepherds do is they, they run to witness what, what was told about the Savior. And they saw for themselves the very thing that the angel of the Lord told them. And so what happened was is that they, they just went home and they just said, wasn't that neat? No, they didn't do that. What they did was, is, is that they began to proclaim this gospel message that a Savior has been born. In fact, they were probably some of the first uh, evangelists that we know of that began to share this good news. Because the light came to pierce their darkness. And I like what Luke 2.17 says here because it's really interesting. It says, and when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And so they basically became the first evangelists to spread the word. It's interesting when the wise men came sometime later, maybe a year, year or two later, and they came. What, what led them to where Jesus was? It was a star, wasn't it? Something that pierced the darkness is what led them to the Messiah to cause them to come and bring him gifts and worship him, these men from afar. See, how many of you, when you get good news, you want everyone to know about it? When, when you get something good, when something good happens to you, how many of you, you jump right on Facebook and you let all your Facebook friends know the good news that has happened, right? You don't, you don't want to keep, you want other people to kind of Rejoice with you, right? We want people to be happy for us because something good has happened. And for these shepherds and for these wise men, something good happened. God revealed something very special to them that they couldn't keep it to themselves, that they had to come and worship. They had to come and see this thing. And not only that, they had to share it with other people of what God did and how he changed them. You can't keep it inside. You see, the good news of Jesus is something that we can't keep inside. It, it, it's meant to be shared. 
For the life of me, I can't understand anyone when they say my religion is personal to me. That, that is so unbiblical. It's so the opposite of what happens when something changes in your heart. When Christ changes you, when, when, when the darkness is exposed and the truth comes in, it, it sets you free. It changes you. It's something that you can't keep inside. You want to tell other people about what has happened. That's exactly what happens when the word comes alive in your heart and Christ changes you. See, the last thing God wants in your life is a dead, religious, mundane, just doing my religious thing. Going to church every week, praise God, hallelujah, suffering for Jesus, right? I mean, God says, I want this to be a joyful thing in your heart. This is good news. This is something that's to be shared. This isn't something that you hide. This isn't something that you keep to yourself. This isn't something that's, that's personal. This is something that you have to share. I love Matthew 5. Jesus says this, 1416 is recorded for us in the Gospel of Matthew. It says, it says, you are the light of the world. The light has come. He now lives in you. And now you become lights in your world. And so he says, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp to put it under a basket but they put it on a stand and it gives light to all that are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others. This little light of mine. I'm going to let it shine. Right? Okay, you guys remember that? Your, your light shines before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to who? To God. Give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Now, I don't know about you. If you've got a flashlight, a little LED flashlight, I don't know about you guys, but is your flashlight just a, supposed to be an accent piece? Do you, do you put your flashlight like that in your house? Isn't that beautiful? Let's just look at the flashlight. Isn't that nice? Let's take pictures of it and put it on Instagram, put it on Facebook, and show everybody my flashlight. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that nice? Let's all just look at it. Is that the purpose of a flashlight? The purpose of the flashlight is to bring light in a dark place. That's the purpose. Now, I could sit there and I could shine the flashlight up, make it look really nice. You know, I could, I could, I could spend a million dollars on this flashlight, right? And say, look, at, I spent a million dollars on this flashlight. Let's all look at it. What's the purpose? It's to give off light. People, listen to me. Your life is so much more than just coming to church and sitting in a pew. If that's all your religious life is, it's just like a flashlight that's sitting on your mantle that's doing nothing but just sitting there. Jesus says, you are the light of the world now. Go let your light shine wherever you 
are. Let it shine. Use every situation that you have to let your light shine before men. This is the whole reason the word has come into this world is to expose the darkness. Listen, when you're at work and someone says an off-colored thing and you don't laugh at it, and you don't, you don't give in to the temptation to be like everybody else, guess what? Woohoo! They're like, how come you don't laugh at our off-color jokes? Because you say, because you're dying and going to hell, because you're a sinner, right? No, we don't say that, right? Right? We just say, you know what? Because Let me tell you why. Not trying to put you down or anything, but you know what? My life is different now with Christ. He's kind of changed me in those areas. It's not that you set yourself up to be a self-righteous person to put other people down, but you know what? My life has changed. Use that as a, as a platform to let your light shine, to be different. You know, maybe, maybe you're at work or, or somewhere else or you're at a doctor's office and you pull your Bible out and you start reading it. Woohoo, let your light shine, right? And people start looking around. Like, I think he's are they reading the Bible. Are you reading your Bible? Right. I can remember in high school, I, I wanted to wear a Christian T-shirt. And it was from a, a band called Petra. How many of you remember the band Petra? Who's old like me and just old Christian rock days? And I remember and it, 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 it had something about Jesus. I don't remember what it was, but I go, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. And I'm going to wear this Christian t-shirt to my high school. I'm going to do it. And I can remember beginning of the day I had like a sweatshirt on, right? And then I just got the guts. My sister said, well, you just have guts and just wear that thing, you big wuss, right? No, she didn't say that. She was nicer than that. She got me in a headlock and actually ripped the sweatshirt off me. No, um, I started walking around, and there's another kid in the library. He came up to me, and he goes, and I didn't know he was a Christian. He goes, did you go to that Petra concert a couple months ago? I'm like, yeah. He goes, hey, my name's Jim. I'm a Christian, too. Ooh, really? There's another Christian I met at school that I didn't know that I was a Christian. Let your light shine, right? I remember one time I was in the library, and I go, I'm just going to read my Bible. And I had my little Bible, and I'm reading it. And uh, somebody came by my desk, and she was a great ahead of me. And she looks by, and she goes, are you reading your Bible? I said, yeah, I am. She goes, I'm a Christian, too. Met another Christian. That was so encouraging for me. Just letting your light shine wherever you are. Let it shine. You may see somebody that's hurting Maybe that's going through a difficult time and you say, hey, you know what? Can I pray for you? Can I just pray for you? Let your light shine. Let it shine. What a waste would it be for you and I to receive this great news of Jesus Christ coming into the world and not allowing that to be reflected out of our lives and our hearts to this world. Our world so desperately needs to hear the truth of Jesus Christ. Our world is lost and it's dying. Our world is looking for pleasure to fix the emptiness in their hearts. They're looking for things that are just empty. Right? It's just empty. Guess what? The Super Bowl is over. We go all back to our lives, right? And we're like, 
What's next? Right? What's the next thing that's going to thrill me? See, that's the problem when you walk in this world. You're looking for things to fulfill the emptiness that only Christ, the light of the world, can fulfill. So let your light shine before all men. Hide it under a bushel? No. I'm going to let it shine, right? Not going to let Satan blow it out. No. I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Amen. Lord, we bow our hearts before you today as your, as your servants. I pray for every heart here today that Jesus that if they haven't come to you yet, that your light would shine into their hearts. That they would bow their knee to a Savior who loves them, who cares for them. That they would come to you and that truth and that grace would change them today. Lord, I pray for us who, who are here today and Lord, we, we're kind of hiding our light a little bit. We, we've allowed it to grow dim. We've allowed the passion of Christ to kind of wax cold, a little bit apathetical in our walk. We've kind of gotten into a rut. We've kind of been doing this Christian thing for a while, and it's just kind of lost its flavor. It's lost its appeal. I pray that you would rekindle the fire that once burned so bright in our hearts, that you would give us a new passion, a new hunger to read your word, a new hunger and a passion to let your light shine in our hearts, that you would begin to lay people on our hearts and our lives that need so desperately to hear what you have to say to them, that you would forgive us for our apathy, God, that you would forgive us for allowing that candle to burn out. So, Lord, rekindle that fire, that flame within our hearts again. Let it burn bright for you. Let this church be a lighthouse in this community. Let each person realize, as our sign says when you leave the campus of our church, that we are now entering our mission field. Let, let us realize that our mission field is wherever we are, that wherever we are, we are lights in this world, to be used by you to expose the darkness, to lead others into the truth of Jesus Christ. Give us the courage and the boldness through the power of your Holy Spirit to be your lights in this world. Give us a joy that we've lost. Give us a joy, God, that we've lost in you to know what a beautiful thing it is to serve our Savior and what a privilege it is to serve you, Jesus. So use this church for your glory, we pray. God, help us to get excited again, to be passionate again about sharing your love with others. And We thank you, Jesus, for your patience with us. Thank you, Jesus, for all you've done for us. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into our dark world, giving us the truth, giving us the, the gift of your grace that saves us today from our sins. We're so grateful for that. And we just ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. And all God's people said, Amen.